Welcome to the Licensing Podcast, where we take what may seem like the extremely boring and try to make it a little less boring. Each episode is geared towards a story to help provide you with some of the background of where these topics come from, why they work the way they work, and what you can do about it on your test. We're going to provide a lot of realism. Unfortunately, you can only provide so much fun. The goal of this session is to connect new issues with trading markets. The material keeps them separate, and they should. As you're learning, you need to box these two separate to make sure that you keep all the vocabulary that's different. I mean, at face value, you have to know that IPO is primary market and that stabilizing bid is something that shows up in the primary market and that prospectus is, again, primary market. Just like you need to know that things like fair pricing policy or order types or things of that nature need to show up in the secondary market. So it's very understandable that he divides them out when he teaches them to you. Unfortunately, ripping out that context sometimes makes it difficult to understand where these things fit in the real world. The great thing about this particular session is I can do both in one story. So all I'm really going to do is take the next couple of minutes and talk to you guys about my personal experience with the Facebook IPO. It happened back in 2012, and I'm going to use vocabulary words that show up in your book around new issues, and then I'll even carry it forward into the quote-unquote trading market session, and I'll use some words that you would see in the trading markets area. So our story. As I mentioned, it's May of 2012. I'm an associate, so I'm on the phones and I'm taking customer calls. What happens is for the Facebook IPO, Facebook is clearly the issuer, and the underwriter is a team of underwriters. The guys in the news all the time are Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. They become the lead underwriters or the managers of the syndicate. The syndicate is vast. It needs to support a large amount of shares. Facebook is what we would eventually end up calling a hot IPO. Many people aren't going to be interested in it. And so they ground up a lot of buddies to make sure that they've got enough coverage. They use a well-known international firm called KKR. So that would be their syndicate member. Their syndicate member, KKR, also wants to spread the wealth, and they use a pretty well-known company. That would be us. So we are selling group members in this particular deal. We're going to get some shares, and we have to allot those out to our customers. We get notified about two weeks before Facebook is scheduled to do their secondary sale on Friday, May the 18th. So for the Monday to Friday before and the Monday to Thursday before, those two weeks, every day I'm taking phone calls from customers asking me, hey, what do you know about Facebook? And from a regulation standpoint, think about my answers. I can't respond with, hey, you're the five millionth customer who called today about Facebook. Because if I do, I'm implying that it's a bit of a hot issue. And as you know, from 1933, I'm not allowed to hype the issue. Conversely, I can't even say the other thing. I really can't say, you know, you're the very first person who's called about Facebook today. Because the implication there is now we've got a cold issue. Nobody wants this thing. And I just scared that customer off. I'm In the roundabout way, I'm de-hyping the issue. But at the end, all that matters for the regulators is that I'm influencing the customer's decision. So I can't do that either. The correct answer here really is, that's an excellent question. I can't answer it. Let's focus on if you want Facebook shares. The very next thing that I do, according to 1933, is I need to get them the pertinent facts. Goldman Sachs is supplying us with fact sheets that clarify what the estimated public offering price is going to be and some other details. The main one is that estimated pop. 
now from Monday through the next Wednesday. For those 10 days, the estimated pop is 24 to 28. And when a customer asks me what the price is, I say it's going to be between 24 and 28. I take them to the IPO page where they can download a copy of the preliminary prospectus right there on the website. And I wait and I say, hey, when you've got that downloaded and read and digested, let me know when we can proceed to talk about your indication of interest. Then I count one, two, three. And then the customer is like, okay, well, I've got it downloaded. I'm ready to go. I'm like, oh, so you read that four, five, 600 page document, you know, <laughs> but whatever, it's their deal. So we then proceed to the next tab where we fill out an indication of interest. They tell me how many shares they think they might want as long as they understand the price is between 24 and 28. So this customer says, hey, I want 150 shares at 24. And I just go ahead and I write that down. And I do that for 10 straight days. Now, about that IOI for a second, if we do a little investigation, if our risk team hunts through and finds out that this guy's Bernie Madoff, can we cancel the IOI? And the answer is yes. It's non-binding. We are allowed to close the deal on our side. If he does go back and reread that prospectus and it says something insane like, you know, I got to give my first unborn child up to the company, I don't want to do that, then that's fine too. He calls back, he cancels, not a big deal, okay? Now, on Thursday morning, we have a unique situation where we get an updated fact sheet from Goldman Sachs. We don't know how hot or cold the issue is, but apparently Goldman felt like maybe the valuation was undervalued. The new estimated pop for Thursday is going to be 34 to 38. Is there any obligation for me to call back any of the other customers? And the answer is no, there's not. Remember, it's non-binding. So I don't have to reach back and let them know about the updated prices. So when a new customer calls me today and she wants... Uh, 200 shares at 34, I'm just simply saying, yep, and I'm writing it down. The one part that isn't in the book that did happen in real life is we have a confirmation period on Thursday night. So remember, the stock is supposed to open up and trading on Friday. The SEC comes out and says that Facebook's offering can be effective. And so we start placing the IPO shares. We use a confirmation period Thursday night to do that. I think it was from 7 to 9 my time, if I remember right. So from 7 to 9, the uh, customer is supposed to either get online and look at what they got, their allotment, or they're supposed to call us back in and get the report. So somebody's calling me back in and I'm saying things like, hey, you said you wanted 100 in shares at 24. Well, we got you 25 shares at 38. The final pop price ended up being 38. Do you want them? And if the customer says yes, then I put 25 shares in the account and I take $38 out 25 times. If the customer says no, then I cross them off the list and we just go on to the next customer. And we did that until we placed all of the shares in the offering. Friday morning, Facebook is supposed to open up at 9.30 when the market opens up, and it doesn't. There's something I'm going to call it, quote unquote, that happens. And Facebook doesn't really start trading till a little past 10, around the 10, 10, 10, 20 time frame, if I remember correctly. And that very first trade is at 42. Well, that doesn't make a ton of sense, right? I mean, that, I just said that the pop was at 38. So what is that? Well, you got to remember, this is initiating secondary market trading at this point. They're the, the first trade of the day is somebody who got pop shares at 38 or selling those shares away to somebody who didn't get pop shares, apparently at a price of 42. That's what supply and demand dictated. 
So before I turn this into a trading market story, I want to go back and recap the new issue side of things. Please notice that I talked about lead underwriters. I talked about syndicates. We mentioned effective dates. We talked about estimated pops and preliminary prospectuses. I don't want you to feel like those words in the book aren't real. They might be changed slightly with the way we use them in the real world, but we still using those words in that context. That was the new issue scenario for Facebook. Just the best thing about Facebook is it just keeps on giving. So Friday, we get the secondary market side of the story. As I mentioned, the pop was at 38, but the market opened up at 42. Uh, the media had been hyping Facebook a lot, and a lot of people assumed it would do well. And so nobody was surprised at the first little while when the stock bolted up to 45. Something happened at 45, though. Somebody, I guess the universe got together and said, you know, wait a minute. These guys don't make anything. This isn't valuable. And we start to see a lot of sales pressure. And it goes hard. Facebook tanks from 45 all the way back down to 38. Now, 38 is a very psychological barrier here. It's what the underwriter said the shares were worth. And so if Facebook busts 38, that tends to put a lot of psychological damage into the system, and you'll start to see the stock potentially go down even faster. So Friday afternoon, it's like a three o'clock-ish kind of timeline, Facebook is approaching 38, and the underwriters feel like they got to step in and save. So Morgan Stanley, one of the lead underwriters, steps in and stabilizes the bid at 38. So remember, the stabilizing bid is that thing that in the act of 34 is legal market manipulation because it provides assurances to retail customers and it's only to be used in IPO settings. So Morgan Stanley uh, stabilizes at 38. And if you go back and check the record, you'll notice that Facebook closes that day at 38. Over the weekend, I think it was a Sunday afternoon if I remember right, the news agencies all come out and say, hey, Morgan Stanley has just let us know that they are not gonna stabilize on Monday which if you think back to your reading is the perfect definition of what a stabilizing bid is. One bid, lead underwriter does it for as long as he wants. Has nothing to do with a five, 10, 15 day kind of timeline. So when the retail population hears that Morgan Stanley's not gonna stabilize on Monday, nobody's really surprised when on Monday, Facebook opens up at 38 and ends up tanking all the way down to 33. In fact, over the coming months, Facebook will go all the way down to $19. But one other kind of fun fact happens. You remember in the trading market section where we talk about the DMM and the responsibilities of the floor brokers, Facebook had registered with NASDAQ. So this was an, a negotiated trade style. And I'll remind you that a negotiated trade style is when you have a couple market makers in the room, you have no DMM, and these guys are just yelling at each other in order to place trades. The market makers are trying to get the tickets because every ticket they turn, they get the spread. The broker dealers are submitting tickets to these market makers just to facilitate trades for retail customers. NASDAQ won Facebook's business by even really putting out there that they had enough market makers to handle the trade volume. In fact, they told Facebook that they went out and got new market makers to ensure that there was enough people in that room to make sure all the trades happened. And that comes, that turns around to be a little paradoxical because that's not what happens at all. The reason that Facebook opens up late is because NASDAQ systems can't handle the volume that Facebook generates. Now, if you're a savvy investor with a brokerage account, 
then you know that FINRA publishes a rule book about how trades are supposed to be happening. There's a brokerage handbook out there. And you'll even know that your individual broker firm has their own version of that broker handbook with their custom house rules. And if you read that handbook, you'll know that NASDAQ specifically says that in situations where the market is quote unquote fast, that's the technical term, fast market, where the systems can't catch up, the first thing they're going to prioritize is execution. And the last thing, the first thing off the boat, the first thing we throw away is reporting transmission. Or said another way, NASDAQ will make sure that they do your trade. They won't necessarily tell you that they've done their trade. That's the first thing that they'll do to handle the emergency of a fast market. And this philosophy comes back to bite almost all of our customers. So now I'm going to tell the story from the customer's perspective. So it's Friday afternoon. I've been waiting anxiously for Facebook. I didn't get any IPO shares. 9.30 rolls around. I'm at my computer and I just do what everybody does. You know, I, I pull up my trade screen. I see that green buy button and I hit buy. What I'm used to in these situations with large stocks or well-known stocks is second or two second or less than second execution. I'm expecting to get the shares immediately. Only this time I don't. The computer screen doesn't move. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't say buy. It doesn't say sell. It doesn't even say cancel. It just says nothing. Well, in our digital age, what do you do when your computer doesn't work? Yep, you just hit it or you cancel and do it again, right? Like if the, the mechanical thing isn't working, just do it again. So I cancel my order and then I submit another buy order. Then again, my computer doesn't do anything. Nothing. Well, it's got to be broken. So I Hit cancel and I buy again. This is the third time now I've tried to hit the buy button. And finally, I get this order back that says, you bought 100 shares, which is what I wanted. So I say, okay, finally, I'm into Facebook. I close down my computer and I go on with my day. Monday morning rolls around and my broker dealer tells me that I have 300 shares of Facebook, but I only had enough money in the account for 100 shares of Facebook. So now I'm in trouble. I don't have enough money. My broker dealer wants to know where's the rest of the money. And hopefully you're piecing together what's happened here. You see, from the broker-dealer's perspective, we got the order and we sent it into NASDAQ. NASDAQ filled the very first time he hit buy. Less than a second later, we bought the 100 shares. But because of the fast market requirements, the trade confirmation was slow. NASDAQ doesn't tell us as a broker-dealer that they filled the ticket. And we're not going to lie to the customer, nor are we going to make something up. So we don't tell the customer that he's filled either because we don't know. So when he goes to hit that second buy, it's kind of a lie. There's no canceling that first order. It's already filled. When he hits that second buy, we buy again. And the same exact problem happens. We get the order. We send the order to NASDAQ. NASDAQ instantly fills it because they have all those market makers, but they're slow to report back. So when that customer hits the cancel button for the second time, there was no cancel. That was already filled. That's not going to happen. That's why they bought three times. And the customer would get so angry, they would call us up and say, hey, you did this to us. And we would explain. And all the broker-dealers were basically telling the same story. You know, this is actually how the market works. We didn't know that you didn't want 300 shares. You didn't do a cancel and replace. You just canceled and just rebought. And the cancels didn't work because we'd already filled. That's a risk of the market. NASDAQ's maybe the one at fault. There was actually, I don't know if you remember in the news, but there was actually a group of, of uh, pretty wealthy investors who tried to sue NASDAQ over this. And NASDAQ just pointed to the brokerage handbook and said, that's how we do it. Those are the rules. You knew about it when you opened your account. 
read the book next time. That's real market risk, guys. I know that we talk about market risk in terms of prices going up and down, but you got to understand there's a physicality to market risk. Computers break. Paper gets lost. That's part of market risk. But please notice that I talked about market makers and I talked about order fill and we just talked a little bit about order types. So to recap, I just wanted to give you a story of our Facebook IPO experience that ran from the new issue verbiage all the way to the trading market verbiage and connect. Please again, listen to this again and notice how many times I'm using real vocab words that you got in the text. This isn't a made up story. This happened to me in 2012. It was pretty stressful two or three weeks for me, but it turned out to be a really good learning experience. I'm glad it happened now. Anyway, that's my session for today. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.